Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's March 30th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? I'm doing all right. Uh, Bitcoin's on a little bit of a rip, so I guess that's nice to see. We're hanging out around the 28K mark, up like 3% week over week. I think, what was it? Uh, Balaji was saying it's it's going to be at a million dollars per Bitcoin in the next 90 days. Yeah, when, <laughs> when, when one million? That's what I want to know. I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> sitting here with my Bitcoins, like when are they going to be a million? Uh, come on, yes. Balaji, sort it out. Bring that timeline a little bit closer, I think. I, 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 think I the can't attention. wait 90 days. Yeah, I'm going to wait 90 days for this. Come on, this is crypto. We need it quicker. Uh, Come on, yeah. J-Pal, fire up that hyperinflation machine. <laughs> I personally blame the Bitcoin core developers. You know, they need to push a fix to change this to being $1 million. Uh, that'll be much quicker. But anyway, we are talking, uh, we've got a few different stories today. Um, in our occasional doom and gloom fashion. We've got some potentially bad news. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about a new bill that is coming through, which could maybe be used to, to, to ban Bitcoin. We've got some exciting updates on a more positive note around the Ethereum Shanghai update. We have a date confirmed. So we're going to be running through that. And oh, just this little story around Binance, <laughs> not a big deal. Uh, you know, they've just got this enormous lawsuit hanging over their heads, which could result in the collapse of their entire exchange, which is the largest one in the world. Um, no biggie, no biggie. We'll, uh, we'll jump into that one pretty soon. Uh, so a bit of a mixed bag today, but we've got a lot to cover. So let's jump straight in. The CFTC is suing Binance, and it is, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, there's no sugarcoating this one. Um, the CFTC have released a press release around this uh, on Monday, I want to say. Um, and Binance, as well as CZ personally, have been accused of a number of things, but I think the overarching big piece of this on the Binance side is that they've been operating illegally in the US. And the the CFTC have filed a civil complaint on Monday, and they are seeking some pretty sizable damages. So I, I, I wanted to pull out a few quotes from the press release uh, that, that, that they pushed out. We're going to dig in a little bit more detail around some of this stuff, but this is the first one. So Binance's solicitation of customers located in the United States subjected Binance to registration and regulatory requirements under US law. But Binance, Zhao, that's CZ, and Lim, that's Samuel Lim, the uh, former chief compliance officer, have all chosen to ignore those requirements. So that's the first first little snippet. Doesn't wow. sound great. Uh, the and then the second one is the complaint charges that for much of the relevant period, this relevant period I think being since 2017, Binance did not require its customers to provide any identity verifying information before 
before trading on the platform, despite the legal duty that entities like Binance, functioning as future commission merchants, or FCMs, collect such information and fail to implement basic compliance procedures, get this, designed to prevent and detect terrorist financing and money laundering. Hmm. Now, so there was a piece in this where they specifically kind of call out like the funding of Hamas. And, you know, it, it does not look good. Um, there's chat records and just what seems like a whole heap of very incriminating documentation. Um, and it's worth kind of calling out, right? You know, the SEC, they, they will often put out lawsuits very, very frequently. Uh, and some of these can be arguably scare tactics at times. The CFTC is not really like this. They they tend to go and go for the jugular when they go, and they often win, it's worth calling out. Now, I'm no lawyer, so I, I can't say they're going to win or lose. But when you just look through some of the stuff that they've like put through, it is, I, I mean, some of it's really damning. So Samuel Lim the former chief compliance officer, I think comes out almost as, as bad, if not worse, than CZ here. Um, so they pull out this chat thread that I'm going to assume is through either like WeChat, Slack, or something like that, right? It's like internal company chat. And so Samuel Lim says uh, in a chat with, uh, I believe CZ here, or at least one of the executive team, he said that a, quote, huge number of customers in a like particular Binance category that they're talking about could be US citizens in reality. They have to get smarter and VPN through non-US IP. This is the chief compliance officer is saying that their customers that should that could be visit, uh, visiting as US they could be US citizens. They should just use a VPN and sneak in to basically circumvent all of the compliance. That is not good. They, they they have this documentation from internal records. So that doesn't look very good. Um, I think another really bad thing, and it's honestly surprised me how many people are surprised about this, but um, they're kind of going after the, I guess, like, market manipulation and self-dealing, uh, they identified that there were more than 300, I quote, house accounts owned by CZ, uh, Merit Peak and Sigma Chain, who I believe are also uh, investors, where they basically had a prop trading team, which means that they were trading against their own customers. And they took no mm. reasonable anti-fraud or anti-manipulation steps. It, this doesn't look good, Austin, does it? Oh, doesn't this sound familiar, Matt? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. I saw, I, I don't know if you've seen, so CZ, either yesterday or the day before, he put out, published a message, like a formal statement. Um, and I was reading this in bed last night, actually. Um, fun bedtime reading. And, you know, like, honestly, it's like, it was quite funny, actually, because I, I saw that Binance had been paying for Twitter ads to promote 
this message to reach as many people as possible because I got hit with an ad and I was like, wait, this is a fake mm-hmm. CZ account and I'm being like fished. So I was like losing my mind in bed of like going through security <laughs> steps before I tr- clicked on this link. Um, but uh, he was kind of basically saying like in response to the whole, he's been trading against his own customers uh, via these like 300 accounts. Like in a nutshell, his his response was, he doesn't do any trading. Uh, all employees are banned from like doing any futures trading. And if they buy an asset, they have to hold it for a minimum of 90 days. This was just simply, he has two accounts. One is his Binance card, uh, like his debit card. And the other is just what he uses for cash. And sometimes he has to convert crypto into cash to pay off the card or other stuff. And it was just like, really is this really yeah. the 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 uh the the response here um so yeah 100 I, mean, it... I do not buy that uh, no way and, do i buy it yeah and you know you know remember when um the whole ftx thing was going down and cz was kind of being lauded as this uh this hero this person that you know pushed the the first domino um, to bring down FTX and expose this fraud and everything like that. And something that I think you and I were, were you know, saying over and over and over again is that just because SBF is the villain doesn't mean that CZ is the hero. And uh, I felt that way, you know, th- this whole time about it. I feel very weird about this situation. I think that these 300 house accounts that were uncovered probably are doing exactly what the CFTC is indicating they were doing. At the yeah. same time, I'll tell you another thing that I don't buy, which is like this weird attempt to tie Binance to Hamas and like funding terrorism and everything like this. Yeah, this is just I, like I, classic bullshit that the US government does whenever they want to paint an individual or an organization um, as a villain or as an adversary, they say, oh, it's terrorism. That's been popular since like 2001 yeah. here. <laughs> I, I, I did think that. I saw the whole like Hamas stuff and I was like, wait, what? And, you know, like it, it they're just like, this is just a news headline in fairness, yeah. I, I think, to like juice this up. And, be- and this is coming from someone that I... I'm deeply skeptical about Binance and I've not mm-hmm. felt great. Like, there's just like a bad smell about Binance that doesn't make me feel good. There's also oh, gee, some of this stuff where there's there, they allegedly faked a compliance audit as well. And um, mm-hmm. I was like reading this stuff. And again, this is Lim, the, uh, the, the former uh, chief compliance officer. So they like spoke to a compliance auditor and this is this is in the documentation by the way by the ctf um cftc and uh they purposefully engaged like this compliance or auditor that would i quote limb right just do a half-assed a set individual sub audit on geofencing to buy us more time oh my god <laughs> <laughs> can you believe this like like this is the thing that gets me, right? Nothing surprises me about people being corrupt and companies acting in a corrupt right. way, especially not in the crypto space. What always surprises me is these people are at this scale of operations and yet they write 
the most painfully incriminating information yes. down on like public forum. Well, not public forums, but like internal messaging apps and things like that. What are you doing? Here. I know. Like, Do you think all of these messages were being written? Like, are these from three years ago or something like that before it started to become obvious that internal uh, chats would be leaked or something? Because to me, to, to you know, that one quote where he was saying that a huge number of customers could be U.S. citizens in reality and they just need to get smarter and use a VPN and everything. It's like, you're a chief compliance officer. You should know not to say something like that. He's a compliance officer. Yeah, like, of all the people, right? So it's like, okay, maybe, like, the CMO or whatever or, like, someone else, like, the CTO or something. Well, they're just a bit, like, you know, it's someone that's not necessarily security is the forefront of, and compliance is the forefront of everything. Your actual compliance officer is doing this stupid shit. Like, can you imagine like if that's the bar what else are people (laughs) doing like that is a really 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 bad kind of thing um there was also uh the allegedly they were binance were alerting some of its like vip members if the um if the police if like or uh, a law enforcement agency were asking about their account. Like, can you imagine? Mm. Like, they would notify the the user. I quote through all available means. Uh, if like those like accounts were asked to be frozen, and it would unfreeze after twenty four hours. It's just unbelievable to to read wow. some of this. Um, and you know, you've got this like strange structure between Binance and Binance US, and. Uh, there's, there's a lot that's been kind of coming out about this. And I think one story that actually broke, I was reading this in the Financial Times yesterday uh, morning, where um, a, a pretty significant expose that the FT have done is that Binance, and in particular CZ, has hid extensive links to China for several years. And I think this is like just going to... I. I wouldn't put this up there with like the Hamas kind of like hyperbole, but it's up there. I believe everything that this is kind of being talked about, but this is just definitely more fuel to the like, but China argument, like that kind of comes mm-hmm. into all of this. I, I liken it to kind of like the, the the bizarreness of this, like and the irony of the the TikTok kind of trial that we're we're seeing play out, where basically it's okay for. US companies to infringe on the privacy of users and manipulate political elections but if if you're if you're owned by a Chinese company absolutely not you are the devil uh so you know th- so what what they found in this this recent report is that for several years despite executives claims at Binance they have operated in China i think like they, they claimed that they left the country after a clampdown in late 2017. Um, they have allegedly still got an office there and they have been purposely through messaging that was leaked from what CZ had been saying in company messaging groups um, where they kind of say they don't publish their office address, but people uh, in the organization have to say there is no office in China, uh, that there was also 
uh, one Binance employee in November 2019, um, when the company was considering opening a Shanghai office admin chat group, said, we also have lots of non-Shanghai employees that come to Shanghai office frequently and would be inconvenient to exclude that part of the team. Somewhat damning when you're talking about building an admin chat for the Shanghai office, but you're publicly saying you don't have a Shanghai office. So I think like all of this is kind of playing in and creating what is going to be a lot of pressure uh, on the CFTC to really make a big example. And I think the FTX collapse has not kind of helped on this front. But some of the yeah, things they're I looking right. to gain are pretty substantial, right? Like the, the outcomes of what the CTFC are, are trying to get from this. Yeah, it's intense. I will say on this sort of Chinese connection, and I want to be clear, I'm not making excuses for this or, or saying that it's okay. Uh, but I, I will say, if this came as a surprise to you, I think you need to take some time to refine your understanding of how the CCP operates or really how large and powerful governments and especially authoritarian governments operate in general. Um Anytime that there is an attempt to say, oh, no, like, you know, that thing that was uh, a company within our jurisdiction, and of course, all companies within our jurisdiction are controlled by our central party, um, we've divorced from that. And, you know, they're totally a separate thing now, and we have no control over them, we promise. Um, <laughs> that is literally never going to be the case, no. okay? No. Um, something to think about as well as we go through these TikTok hearings, um, you know, because there's multiple different paths to resolution here. Uh, I'm personally sort of in the camp that like, I, I don't see any way that you could actually really uh, divorce the two, which is that, yeah. you know, sort of uh, is sad for um, TikTok or at least its uh, shareholders. But uh you know, I, I I think it's obvious that this had to be going on, right? Well, it's so bizarre to me, though, to just see. Um, I guess I I felt like uh, Binance, you know, internally, maybe partially because of these ties and you know the scrutiny that central Chinese authorities place on these large entities within their scope, like these, you know, these large companies, you see how involved they are in like Alibaba and Xiaomi and, you know, all, all of these companies and everything like that. Um, I, I figured that they would be a little bit more buttoned up internally. <laughs> I guess I, not. I mean, yeah, I mean, more the full us, right? I, it's, I, I think like the, the thing that I'm uh, I'm trying to figure out, get back to like, you know, what, what should we take away from this CFTC kind of uh, case against Binance and all of the affiliates, right? Like CZ, Lim, et cetera, et cetera. Is this some, the, the real question here, I, I think they're going to win this case, the CFTC, I think based on just looking at how damning it is. The, the real question that kind of everyone has is, is this a quote unquote kind of fatal blow to Binance? It seems like they're going to be going after a huge amount in damages. What's probably going to happen, right? Like, is they're going to settle and pay a massive fine? It really just depends. Is that fine actually big enough? Um, because what the C CFTC is seeking is not just like, like charges that are going to result in fines, but 
real structural reform where, you know, like CZ, Binance, Lim, all the affiliates mentioned, they will be banned from trading registered entity, trading on registered entities, holding any commodity interest, directing any trading of digital assets, accepting any funds. I'm like, re- I'm reading out some of this stuff. Where it's like from anyone for the purpose of purchasing or selling digital assets. Wow. Uh, like the list goes on. Yeah, the TLDR of that means if this all stands, Binance, CZ, Lim, the lot, they can't operate. And then the the penalties that they're assessing is like they need to make whole every customer impacted by the violations they've made. Like this also will involve like paying back a fine in the trading profits, revenue, salary, commission, loans, or fees derived from any US person. This is a monumental amount of money. So I don't know. I think there's just like two sides to this on crypto Twitter. Shock horror. Um, where it's basically, you know, this is nothing. And people need to relax. It's largely just FUD. And whenever that's a big cohort, I often get worried, right? Nearly mm-hmm. every big collapse has been preceded by that. And there's this other contingent where it's like, this is incredibly significant and over the period of time that this is going to take to win this case probably going to be a multi-year case i imagine is going to result in the collapse of binance now the real question is can crypto survive that the answer of course is yes but can crypto survive it you know like can crypto like thrive after that and that is the question mark that make no mistake this is no ftx this is a multiple of FTX, a significant multiple. It's the biggest crypto exchange, excuse me, crypto exchange in the world, um, and has serious influence uh, across all of this. So, I, I don't want to like fearmonger here, but I think this is the first time in a while where I've sat up and went, "Whoa, this is a big deal, a really big deal." And we were kind of talking earlier. And maybe this is a bit of a controversial take. It probably is. My kind of take here is it just feels like something's up at Binance. Something smells off, regardless of whether this is the fatal blow, whether whether it's something else. I feel like Binance is the biggest liability, the the last big domino to fall in crypto. And personally, I think I'd probably rather it gets wiped out and we reset and go from there than have this hanging over our head waiting to be an, another, like, as it grows in size and importance, which it's only going to do, then the impact is worse and worse and worse. I, I think I'd rather it go and we we kind of get rid of this. Um, it, it just feels like if this thing blows up, you thought regulation post FTX was bad. This will oh. be next level. Next level bad, especially coming into an election year. You know, this yeah, it it will be. Awful. I have to agree with you here, Matt. I I think it's not a very popular thing to say, but I have long felt weird about Binance and about CZ. I mean, I think CZ is a very interesting character, very entertaining, obviously very intelligent, great follow on Twitter. Um, if you, but Austin, see that last sentence. If you'd have uh, if you'd have replaced that with SBF like about a year mm-hmm. ago, it it would have been an exact perfect statement. You know, yes, it, it, that is 
and I get worried about this stuff. Same with Do Kwon, right? It, it's all that that same kind of persona, and uh, that's what gets me worried as well. Yeah, I'm with you. It'll be a good one to watch. Um, as always, you know, not not your uh, keys, not your crypto. So store your own crypto. Be safe out there. <laughs> I I gotta say, if this doesn't get your funds off of Binance, I don't know what will. Um, yeah. to, to be completely honest, and you know, your your cash, do what you like with it. But if I'm holding size in in Binance right now, I'm, I, you know, you gotta you gotta fight the last war. And and we've seen kind of how you play something like an FTX, etc. Kind of on the brink, you get out, and mm-hmm. it's just not worth it uh, for for me. I'm with you. All right, we're gonna keep tabs on this. I'm. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be more big developments, but let's move into a slightly more positive story. We got a date confirmed for the much-anticipated Ethereum Shanghai update. 12th of April, couple of weeks' time. We're going live. And uh, wow, there's a lot of ETH. That's been staked so far around $32 billion worth. That's uh, just under 18 million ETH has been staked uh, on um, the the new proof of stake chain. Um, you'll remember last year we had the merge. Feels like years and years ago. Yeah, it really um, does. Yeah, when we moved from proof of work to proof of stake. Um, and during that whole time, um, those that are staking, uh, ETH inside a validator, they've been accruing rewards, but they haven't been able to withdraw those those rewards. And this is a big part of what the Shanghai update is is all about. So this upgrade will enable two types of withdrawal. Um, and and I, I want to call this out because I think it's really important to understand because there's a lot of misinformation around the Shanghai update. Um, so you had full withdrawals and partial withdrawals. So the partial withdrawals, it only allows you basically to um, withdraw the rewards that you're earning, but you can't remove your capital, i.e. the staked ETH. Remember, you need, a, you need to stake a minimum of 32 ETH, a minimum of 32 ETH in a validator to be able to run uh, a validator and be accruing rewards. Well, the maximum amount of ETH possible to be kind of taken out each day is 1 million ETH or 1.6 billion uh, USD. Uh, so that's, you know, that's uh, that's just on the reward side. Now, then the second piece is the full kind of uh, withdrawals. And this is where there's like, I think the biggest piece of misinformation. So this is where you can remove your rewards and also the ETH that you've staked. So your your, your capital outlay. So let's say maybe that's 32 ETH in your Valdea. Now, the rate here is limited to only 54,000 ETH per day. That is actually a very small amount in the grand scheme of things. It's around 80 million USD at current valuation. So let's assume like each day, everyone is like that rate is maxed out, which we should assume would happen just to, to be on the prudent side. $80 $80 million worth of ETH. And let's assume that all of that is sold on the market. Now, most people will go, oh, wow, okay, that's going to be a lot of ETH. That's going to be a lot of sell pressure. Actually, it really isn't. If you look at like 24-hour trading volume of ETH from like a day of this week, it floats in and around the $9 billion worth. So it's less than 1%. 
of, of ETH daily trading volume coming in on sell pressure, it's not that big of a deal, actually. And I'll actually be the first to admit that I was kind of one of the uh, the people that were saying last year, I think when we see the Shanghai update hit, we're going to see the kind of the big sell-off happen. I think that probably was a bit because we saw a big sell-off after the merge, but I think that was a bit more indicative of the macro uh, situation that was happening around, was it? I think it was August last year, August, September, in, in around that time that it happened, right? Um, now, what's what's really interesting is when we look at the breakdown of who are the biggest stakers in uh, on Ethereum right now, 25% of all of that nearly 18 million ETH has been staked by individual stakers. So people like me and Austin, for example, uh, that are running their own uh, validators and staking ETH. 30% of that entire number is from Lido, uh, the liquid staking platform. So you give ETH over to Lido, they give you uh, Lido's staked ETH token in return, and they stake ETH. So they actually are responsible for 30% of all staked ETH. It's a huge amount. Coinbase come in at 12%, Kraken, 7.5%. And our good old friends, Binance is 6.1%. So actually, when you kind of like do the math here, of all of those that are staking, the entities that are staking that actually offer a liquid staking kind of like derivative um, uh, off the back of it, it actually equates to like 57% of all stakers. So uh, 57% of all staked ETH is done through an LSD. So... They're already liquid. So if you're if you're owning like staked ETH or a Frax ETH or um, Coinbase's CB ETH or whatever it is, uh, you you can already sell. So that kind of like big sell off narrative, I just doesn't. I just don't see it playing out post Shanghai. Um, I expect though there will be a lot of volatility. There always is with stuff like this. So we'll see how it all plays out. It's a great milestone. I'm excited about it. I think we're probably going to see a lot of trading activity in the run-up to to a lot of this. A um, little bit too unpredictable for me to get some skin in the game on this one. I think I'm going to sit at sit out on the sidelines uh, for a little while and see what how it all plays out. But um, hopefully everything goes well. It's deployed on the test net, so I think we should be in a good place. Exciting updates. Certainly is. Uh, Bring on the Shanghai. All right, let's jump into our last story of the day. There's a new bill that you may have heard of called the Restrict Act or Bill S-686. It might have the potential to be used to ban Bitcoin, or at least that's the concern that's going around the community right now. The RESTRICT Act, which stands for Restricting the Emergence of Security Threats that Risk Information and Communications Technology. Oof, rolls uh, off it's the been tongue, inter- that one. I know, yeah. my goodness. They had the brand guys on that one, didn't they? <laughs> they always do. It's funny because, you know, usually they name these bills like the opposite of yeah. uh, what they're actually going to do. Like this, this probably should have been called the Freedom Act. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, But it's called the Restrict Act, and that's actually what it's intended to do. Uh, It's been introduced by a bipartisan group of senators. So you'll see a list of Republicans and Democrats in the Senate 
um, that have sponsored this bill. And it's partially a response to the TikTok hearings that are going on right Mm -hmm. now. But more broadly speaking, um, it's aiming to call on the Secretary of Commerce to, quote, identify, deter, disrupt, prevent, prohibit, and mitigate transactions involving information and communications technology products in which any foreign adversary has any interest by establishing new procedures. Uh, that's a lot of words. The, the The sort of simplest interpretation of it that, that I can think of is uh, there have been a lot of concerns over the past, what, maybe five, ten-ish years of uh, foreign technology, whether that be hardware or software, making its way into the United States. Obviously, you know, we, we had the whole Huawei debacle with their uh, in- internet infrastructure, 5G networks and everything like that. And there being concerns over spying. Um, if you've, if you're in the US, if not, to, not to mention, to install... not to mention the fact that those 5G towers gave you COVID, right? <laughs> that was... Oh, yeah. You remember that one? Oh. That's one of my favorites, yeah. I think. <laughs> bringing me back, Matt. (laughs) Um, But there's, there's been a lot of stuff like this. Like for example, if you live in the U S and you've ever tried to install security cameras in your home, um, you would find it's actually fairly difficult to find a camera, um, that would be approved for like true secure domestic use in the United States, because a lot of the cameras are made by a handful of companies in China, all of which have been kind of blacklisted by the U.S. government. Of course, you can still buy them and use them here, but there are inherent security risks that the U.S. government has identified with them where, you know, potentially your camera could be phoning home to a server in in China or it could have uh, backdoor vulnerabilities, um, you know, whether that be locally on the device itself or on, you know, it, it could potentially expose your network. There's all kinds of these these types of concerns floating around that you've probably been running into in your daily life if you're paying mm-hmm. attention. TikTok is just the most, I would say, consumer-facing expression or example of this. Uh, but I would say there's a general consciousness in the U.S., maybe even more broadly in the West, that there are, you know... Um, products from potential foreign adversaries that are making their way into our ecosystem that could be exposing our data, our information. And this could be like your personal private information, or it could be government secrets, right? Uh, Anywhere along that sort of um, broad uh, range. And so that I I would say is the context through which this bill is being proposed. Uh, It's a pretty broadly held point of view. So I would say that like the general sentiment underlying this bill is pretty popular. Um, But there are some concerns as always, right? Don't ever let a good crisis go to waste uh, (laughs) that the bill's language is a bit broad. And of course, this is a very common occurrence in U.S. legislature. Uh, But in this case, I I think it's particularly relevant to us because the concern is that it could be used to prevent Americans from conducting crypto transactions or engaging with networks like Bitcoin entirely. So it could, if interpreted, you know, through a broad lens, uh, potentially lead to, to some form of a Bitcoin ban, maybe targeted Bitcoin bans on individuals that the state doesn't like, or maybe a wholesale Bitcoin ban. You could imagine like once there's a rollout of CBDCs or something like that. So I, I think this is important set, as well yeah. to, to, to just like tap into this a bit because 
I think the most common argument I see when I uh, when you see the whole like um, they're going to try and ban Bitcoin and you know like crypto Twitter is like you can't ban Bitcoin, duh! Like it's it's decentralized. There's no way you can ban it. It's like okay, yes, you you are technically correct that it is very difficult to to ban it unless you somehow manage to kind of stop the entire hash rate of the network. And we saw that when China banned crypto, the majority of the hash rate moved from China and was replaced into the US. And I think if the US put a ban on crypto mining completely, it would move elsewhere. Now, the difference here, though, is, yes, it's very difficult for them to like outright ban the entire network and borderline close to impossible. What they can do is make it incredibly difficult to buy and sell and trade crypto. And in particular, cut off all of the on and off ramps and having the likes of institutional investors, funds holding Bitcoin, they will no longer be able to do that, which means an enormous amount of trading activity moves away, which means number go down, Uh, just as a heads up. So it really doesn't matter if you believe that on a technological level, whether this could actually ban Bitcoin, you know, like we still know that an enormous amount of trading activity comes from China and um, hash rate also comes from China. The the tougher you make it, the less likely the widespread adoption of, of this is going to actually happen. Yes, exactly. And, and uh, to your point, like, one one aspect of this would be barriers to entry or adoption or usage. Another aspect would be pretty intense deterrences yes. within the bounds of the law and the legal system. For example, one component of the bill, if interpreted through a certain lens, could include, quote, a maximum 20-year sentence and $250,000 fine for using a VPN to access banned apps. I don't this know what me, a banned app is. <laughs> this reminds me of the like Napster days where it was just like mm-hmm. when I was younger and like my parents would be freaking out because I like downloaded some music or something. They're like, we're going to go to jail for 10 years. It's like, it's like <laughs> yeah, mom, I know. relax. It's it's fine. Yeah. And the, it, it, you know, that's a pretty effective strategy, actually. It turns out fear. Yeah, you know, it, it, it is. It's fear is an effective strategy. I also, gosh, yeah. Do you remember, um, wasn't LimeWire sued by the record industry for more money than exists in the world? <laughs> yes, that's what, that is one yeah, of the so, greatest, like, uh, like, kind of like little facts around that. Fun fact, yeah. by the way, I think LimeWire, just as a side tangent, throwback, LimeWire did a, did a crypto like a token drop recently or an nft drop or something ridiculous mm. like, i saw this on like the periphery of my timeline uh I, I mean i've had my i've had enough malware from limewire over the years I, I i don't need now to actually be completely scammed out of my money uh, so I, I i had no idea in other context on it but yeah limewire still going strong and uh <laughs> pivoting i imagine into the crypto space 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, but to, to your point there, um, and, and, you know, about the, your experiences with downloading music and then the situation with LimeWire and technically what the law says versus how it's enforced, this is something that, you know, we're seeing a lot on Twitter, people saying like, how would you even enforce something like this? It would be impossible mm-hmm. to like literally roll out, you know, 20 year sentence, $250,000 fine for using a VPN to access whatever a banned app is, which by the way, a banned app could be very, very, very broadly interpreted right could be tiktok um, right and, in this example like yeah could be tiktok yeah. i mean it, it, it could be uh binance it, you know it, yeah. it could be kraken whatever um yeah. so i and i think the answer to that is uh, of course it wouldn't be uh it, it rolled out and enforced across the board it would be selectively enforced that's mm-hmm. always how it's been um you know we we've since the the limewire days and and your your days downloading music um, we've had Silk Road happen. You know, we've had Mega happen. Um, Kim, Kim.com is not very happy about it. <laughs> uh, he was made an example of, and that creates a chilling effect, you know? Um, so I, I think that also the mechanisms by which this type of enforcement could be rolled out are much more sophisticated and effective today than they were, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So it's something to take serious. Um, Coin Center, it has recently released a report stating, quote, although the primary targets of this legislation are companies like TikTok, the language of the bill could potentially be used to block or disrupt cryptocurrency transactions and, in extreme cases, block Americans' access to open source tools or protocols like Bitcoin. Um, so we're talking about Bitcoin here. I, I think it could be much more broadly reaching than this. The Restrict Act does create a regime within the Secretary of Commerce that would effectively run parallel to the U.S. Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this would basically create two different parts of the executive branch that could independently and without a lot of procedural ch- checks between the two, ban technologies. So um you can, you know, imagine why the government uh, wa- might want this type of power. Um, a- another problem with the bill is that the potential scope of the word interest, if you read the bill, um, there's there's a lot of key words that are used in it. And one that pops up over and over and over again is this word interest. It could be exploited in order to ban Americans from using entire classes of technologies beyond something like Bitcoin or just open source protocols or whatever it is. The bill's language is really expansive in terms of the technology that it would apply to. And from uh, the Coin Center report, this includes, quote, mobile networks, cloud-based or distributed computing and data storage, payment applications, e-commerce technology, such as online marketplaces or internet-enabled payment technology. That is Alibaba, anyone? Yeah. Yeah, Alibaba. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I forget the um, the fast fashion brand um, as well. Shine, Shine, yeah, an enormous uh, presence mm-hmm. here now in the the UK. I know as well as the US, but all of these, it's uh, it's it's going to be kind of crazy to see how this all plays out. And you know, our our, our good friends at the OFAC that we, we talked about, of course, were the ones behind uh, the the curtailing of or the sanctions against Tornado Cash, right? Which we dug into. Yeah. In, in quite a bit of detail, what felt probably a few months ago now. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a lot to dig into here. And I, I think, you know, there's still a lot that needs to be happened. But I think the US in particular, I think it's fair to say, is pretty renowned for 
just uh, capitalizing on the current meta to push forward mm-hmm. a bill that heavily leans on that and then they just stuff it with with additional things under the radar that really just give them these open-ended opportunities to yep. really just clamp down on on areas and people don't see it coming until it's until it's too late um, but we'll have to we'll have to stay on top of this one. I'm sure there's going to be more developments. But the fact that it is a bipartisan bill is probably like going to help this progress forward even even more. Yeah, I'm with you. And your point about tornado cash is really spot on. It was OFAC that used broad legislation that was intended for one purpose, and then they expanded it into another, and that allowed them to sanction tornado cash. So there is precedent here. Um, you know, if, if you were alive for 9-11 and the fallout from that, you're familiar with the Patriot Act. And mm. I've talked about this multiple times on this show. This just feels like Patriot Act round two to me. Patriot Act yeah. was originally uh, intended to deter terrorism and to create uh, surveillance mechanisms that, that would be used abroad to uh, prevent terrorism domestically in the United States. And then, of course, as we all know, you know, thank God in, for the all NSA. Of, all of stuff. Yeah. yeah, the NSA. <laughs> um, it turns out it was a huge domestic spying program. So I think it's smart to approach these things with a healthy degree of skepticism. If you are invested in crypto, if you care about crypto, I think it's worth taking a look at this bill, mm-hmm. the uh, Restrict Act or Bill S686. Um, give it a read, give it a look, and maybe reach out to your representatives. Because as Matt said, this is a bipartisan bill. So no matter where you are, whether you're in a Democrat district or a Republican district, um, you you do have somebody that you can reach out to and, and share your perspective on this. You, If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a perspective that is uh, you know, a little bit more um, detailed than maybe your representatives are regularly getting access to in terms of the potential impact that this could have on crypto and even on the open source ecosystem. And, and we all know how critical that is to innovation and to, to you know, the, the potential of technology. So I, I think this is something um, to, to inform yourself on, to pay attention to and to consider, you know, like sharing your voice on. Here, here, Austin. I love it when you get up on the soapbox. Gets me pumped up. <laughs> we're gonna take, we're gonna take everyone down. I feel good. I feel good about it. Uh, well, we've had a real mixed bag of stuff we've talked about today. We're obviously going to be paying close attention to what happens in the Binance situation and all of the regular uh, regulatory backlash. Let me tell you something. If Binance really did blow up, this would be more fuel to the fire of that bill that we were just talking about. But we'll keep tabs on it, Austin. I'll see you next week. Talk to you then, Matt. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.